John 21, verse number 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee the two, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And, they, and he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we think of ways to apply this scripture, that you would bless in those applications. May we understand what's going on, and may we see how these events could relate somewhat to us. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. The scripture, in my mind, falls apart into two sections. And they create for us, or at least for me, a simple outline to follow. The disciples went out fishing one night. They caught nothing. Then as the sun came up, Christ blessed their efforts, and 153 large fish were led of the Lord into their net. There was fishing by night, which produced nothing, and then there was God-blessed fishing that following day. As I make a, a spiritual application or two, please remember that this was an actual historical event. This, this is not just a parable. It really took place. It appears that at the time, there was one purpose in God's mind, but I'm not sufficient for God's mind, so uh, it just appears to me there was one thing that the Lord was attempting, attempting, was accomplishing. It was another special revelation of Christ Jesus to his disciples, and it came by way of a miracle. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also called the Sea of Galilee. And on this wise, in this very special way, he showed himself. This would otherwise be a very quick lesson if uh, we couldn't take and make a few applications along the way. It's pretty straightforward. We begin with lessons flowing out of the nighttime fishing trip. This took place during the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection and prior to his ascension into heaven. The fishermen in this scripture were members of the church which Christ established and commissioned. The church didn't start on the day of Pentecost. It started prior to that. It was empowered, perhaps, on the day of Pentecost, but it started before then, and there's plenty of proof to that fact. 
In other words, here in this chapter, we're looking at the nucleus of Jesus' first church. And with that in mind, we can apply some things that belong to them to us because we are one of the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, what is it we see? We find seven of the 11 disciples. We don't have the 70. We don't have the 120, which come up on the next page in my Bible. It's just... Uh, Seven disciples. For some reason, only slightly over half the original membership of the Lord's church was there. It doesn't matter whether it was Sunday or Monday. It doesn't matter if it was a regular church service or a fellowship meeting of, of some sort, just a, a prayer meeting. Less than two-thirds of the original disciples were present. Where were the others? What were the others doing? No information. So I'm not even going to try to guess. It's not, my, it's not my job. Were these seven disappointed that the others weren't there? Again, I don't know. There's, it, we're, there, we have no indication from the Word of God. Whatever those other folk were doing, good or bad, they were going to miss a wonderful opportunity to see the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's a fact. The Christian who skips assembling with the church always, always potentially misses a blessing from God. We need to be in the house of God just as often as we can. We need to assemble with the other brethren. Among those who were present, who do we see at the top of the list? Isn't it the two most disappointing brethren in the church at that point in time? <coughs> we have doubting Thomas and we have denying Peter, the first two are mentioned. This is the first time that Peter and the Lord met after that debacle in the the courtyard of the, the high priest. It's not until verse number 16 that we hear Peter say, Thou knowest that I love thee. Thou knowest that I love thee. But we, we can assume that he really did because there he is with the Lord's brethren. There he is fellowshipping with the people of God. Now we know that Peter and his brother Andrew... And Simon's, or Zebedee's children, uh, John and James, were fishermen. I wonder about Thomas. Was he a fisherman? I wonder about Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel was from Galilee, so he was certainly familiar with the, the lake that was there, the sea that was there, but there's no indication that he was a fisherman. What was his trade? I suppose that it doesn't matter. Anybody can go fishing. Even me once in a while. Anyone can go fishing. It also may not matter, but is there a connection between this fishing trip and what the Lord Jesus told Peter and Andrew way back in chapter 4 of the book of Luke? 
In calling those two into his ministry, the Lord said, Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Weren't all the disciples supposed to be fishers of men? Aren't we supposed to be fishers of men? Spiritual fishers? Keep that in mind, that it was the Lord Jesus who tied together fishing and souls. It wasn't me, it was the Lord Jesus. In addition to these seven disciples who are actually named, five disciples are actually named. Two were not named. Two were not named. We aren't told who they were. Was it an oversight on John's part? Uh, I, I forget who was there. After all, he's old by this time. And things start to slip. I, I don't know. Whatever was in John's mind as he wrote, it was the will of the Holy Spirit that these two not be named. I'm going to be bold there. The Lord said, I don't want these to be named. And that just opens the door really wide for, for you and me. We are here in this scripture somewhere. Maybe you don't want to identify with uh, Thomas. Maybe I don't want to identify with Peter. But even in those that are not named, we're there somewhere. In a sense, that church was without a pastor at the time. There was no human under-shepherd to lead them. But one of the men, who at that point in time was just uh, one of the men, one of the ordinary members, said to those who were with him, those that remained, hey, I'm going soul winning. No, he didn't actually say soul winning, did he? I'm going fishing. For the sake of our lesson, let's pretend that he did say soul winning. As the sun was going down on the other side of uh, uh, toward the Mediterranean, as the sun was sinking in the west, Peter said to the other disciples, let's go catch some fish. There's nothing wrong with night fishing. Just as there are no laws against uh, soul winning at night, they didn't need state fishing license. There was no government permission that they had to get to go out on the lake with their, their nets. They had the authority of the Lord. Yes. And they were fishing lawfully. It's not like they were throwing sticks of dynamite onto the surface of the lake and stunning fish and scooping them up with the hand nets. No, they were, they were fishing properly, using the nets that they had there. I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, I would say that there were one or two lanterns in that boat, in each of the boats. There were two of them, in fact. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't hang a lantern over the back of the, the, the boat in order to attract fish. And then they throw the net on them. It's done in a... Just because it's not legal in Idaho doesn't mean it's not legal on the Sea of Galilee. There are a lot of things about the Sea of Galilee which uh, are, 
unknown to me, and I'll point out some of us as we go along here. They weren't throwing dynamite into the lake. Okay. We've got that. They were shining a light in the way that we're supposed to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ onto the waters of this world. Hopefully to attract the fish toward the Lord. After Peter stated his intention, they divided into two boats and off they went seeking fish for Christ, so to speak. Digressing just a bit, can't we say that secular things, can't we say that ordinary things, even mundane things, can be done in the name of the Lord and for the glory of the Lord? I don't know what was in Nathaniel's mind. But earlier, he may have been wondering, what next, Lord? Where do we go from here? The brethren might have been thinking, now that the Lord is gone, how shall I feed my family? What's next? In my old life, I was a plumber. In my old life, I was a tent maker. In my old life, I was a fisherman. Do we go back to fishing now? Can I do these things for Christ? If Matthew was one of these, he might say, Oh, oh, I was a tax collector for the wicked Romans. I can't do that any longer. Lord, should I be a fisherman now? What should I do with my life? Whether these people were fishing to feed their families or fishing out of the joy of fishing, these things can be done for the Lord. As long as there's no sin involved, like throwing dynamite into the lake, then um, what's wrong with it? Let's do this for Christ. Immediately after Peter's suggestion, they pushed off from the shore and got out sufficiently and dropped the net over the side. But they caught nothing. They used all their skills and training, but they caught nothing. They may have prayed for a good harvest, but they caught nothing. Somewhere in the resources, recesses of uh, my library, and it's scattered all over the house, by the way, there's a book that my daughter gave to me 30 years ago. I also got, a, I also got two t-shirts in, in regard to this. Her company was publishing Pavlov's Trout. Pavlov's Trout. The premise of the book is that to catch fish, you must think like a fish. Okay? You have to uh, ring the bell, so to speak, to make the fish saliva start to flow. I hope you know a little bit about Pavlov. Those disciples may have employed all their Bible school soul-winning lessons, but they caught nothing. They came home empty. Sometimes, many times, doing the right things, doing God's things in the right way is not blessed. The Lord, in His truly infinite wisdom, and I don't say that superficially, may say, nothing. You're not going to catch any fish tonight. You're not going to catch any fish tonight, but tomorrow morning, 
I'm going to show you something. Mm. Next week, I'm going to do something. You're going to be surprised. But right now, no fish. There were no fish. Initially, the brethren were fishing in the dark. Illustrating perhaps our efforts at soul winning. Going down the street, knocking on doors, either to talking, either talking to strangers or leaving a, a, a gospel tract and a, an invitation in a, in a doorway. That's, that's like fishing in the dark. <laughs> we don't know these people. We don't know what's going to happen. And some degree, even preaching the gospel in a church setting is uh, fishing in the dark. We throw out the net, but only God knows if there is one of his fish in that area underneath the, the falling of the net. I wonder how many times Peter and Andrew, or the Zebedee's boys, the Zebedee boys, went out fishing at night in their youth and had been successful. Probably often enough, this apparently was a common way of fishing. And it would have, been, would have become uncommon if it hadn't been successful once in a while. Whether at night or in the heat of the day, here we see another very simple precept. No matter how you want to apply this fishing, here's a very simple rule. If we want to catch fish, we have to go fishing. You don't catch fish by reading fishing magazines. You have to get out there or there's going to be no fish. We should go out praying for God's blessings. We should go out hoping for God's blessing. We should expect God's blessings whether it be 11 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock in the morning. But if we don't get in the boat, if we don't throw out the net, if we don't put that worm on the hook or cast that lure out into the lake, we're not going to catch anything. It's guaranteed. The disciples went out in the hopes of catching fish. But on that particular night, they came, with, came home with uh, empty creels and uh, uh, empty ice chests. Nothing. Then they began to do a little day fishing. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Christ Jesus changes everything. Can I lawfully say that Jesus was there all the time, but they didn't recognize him? They didn't recognize him on the shore. Not only was that true as the sun began to appear, but he was close by even when they were in the ship. Wasn't he in the boat with them? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, 
Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. I know my Savior lives. You can ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I've had the privilege to spend a few hours from time to time with some of the brethren out on the lake fishing. There have been some wonderful conversations. There's been some glorious periods of fellowship around the Lord, even though we weren't surrounded by fish water. Wouldn't it be fun to know what Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel talked about that night? What were they discussing? What the Lord had done at Calvary? What they had done for the Lord prior to Calvary? Talking about the promises that the Lord had made, things that they were expecting. Was it good for them? Did it stir them? I think it might have. Wasn't Jesus Christ in the boat with them? Their hearts might have been warmed and blessed, depending, of course, on their attitude. That's important. Then as the sun began to rise over Gadara, and the two little boats returned to shore, someone called out to them. By this time, they were in the shallow water, where I suppose they thought there would not be much in the way of fishing. It doesn't say that Jesus cried to them. He says to them. He spoke to them. Shallow water or deep water, it means nothing to the creator and the schoolmaster of fish. Children, have you any meat? I'm told that in the Greek this is expressed in a negative way. Something like, children, you don't have any meat, do you? You don't have any food, do you? Didn't catch anything, did you? The Lord knows exactly what's going on in our lives and in our service for him. Problem is, we don't always know what's going on. And sometimes the Lord asks these questions for self-examination. No, I don't have any meat. Did the Lord disguise his voice, or was it that they were simply not paying attention? They didn't know that it was Jesus. The disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Whether he did or didn't disguise himself, isn't it true that the Lord often speaks to our hearts and we don't know that he is speaking? He might speak to us through a book that we're reading or a short devotional or it might be a hymn that we haven't sung for a while. Once in a while a friend says something in general conversation and the Lord is right in that statement. Sometimes it's even in the preaching of the word of God. After initially not recognizing him, shortly after that they did. At what point was it? We're not really told. Someone said, oh, that's Jesus over there. If I had to guess, I would say that someone figured out that this was the Lord the moment he said, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. That would be a pretty good clue, wouldn't it? 
cast the net on the right side of the ship. Isn't that somewhat unreasonable considering the situation? Peter said in chapter 4, I think, or chapter 5, Luke, early chapters, uh, Lord, we have toiled all night and not caught anything. Nevertheless, at thy command, we'll let down our net again. Nothing like that right here. But then added to that ex exhortation, cast on the right side of the boat, the Lord said, and ye shall catch, ye shall find. Who could this be but the Lord? How wide was that boat? How big was that boat? It's certainly no ship. Is it four feet wide? Six feet? And how far could uh, a good fisherman throw that net? It, has to be, it takes some technique to do it properly. Is it 20 feet from the edge of the net over there to the edge of the net over there? I don't know. But there's no fish on one side, and the Lord is saying, throw it on the other side. In other words, zero fish, whole bunch of fish, 10 feet away, 12 feet, 15 feet away. Surprising. Why should there be no fish on the wrong side of the boat, but 20 feet away on the right side of the boat, there is a big school of big fish? I acknowledge that the possibility might exist. But whoever was speaking from the shore guaranteed fish. Yes. Maybe that makes sense to some fishermen, but perhaps uh, to a non-fisherman like me, this sounds miraculous. They therefore cast, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Remember, the disciples had been in this boat before, so to speak. And there was another miraculous catch of fish. There, it was chapter 5. Jesus told Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered him and said, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And immediately after doing this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes. Was this catch of fish built on the previous catch of fish, at least in the hearts and the minds of the disciples, Peter especially? Was this an act of faith built upon an earlier miracle? I would hope so. One of the lessons here is that Christ knows exactly where each and every fish is to be found. He not only knows the fish, he guides and directs the fish. He brought these large fish together into a school. Now, I don't know anything about the fish in the Sea of Galilee. I know very little about fishing, so I'll probably get some flack here. From what little I do know, generally, big fish, predator fish, don't school. This was a miraculous catch in many ways. These big fish, which could feed several families, were all together. 
The Lord brought them all together. How could this stranger on the shore not be Jesus? And how could Jesus not be the Son of God? Calvary Baptist Church has work to do for the glory of the Lord. And no matter how we might apply the disciples' fish catching, it must certainly illustrate our need and our responsibility. Are we in need of soul stirring? Are we in need of a community rattling revival? We are. Has the Lord prepared a great harvest of eternal souls for us to reap? Or is it simply we need the opening up of the word of God? We need the stirring of the Holy Spirit through the word uh, on a short-term basis. Whatever it is, our nets will be empty without the presence and the blessing of the Savior. There's nothing wrong with casting our net on the left side of the boat until the Lord says, no, I want the net on the right side. Then we move it. Just that simple. This, this scripture should remind us of our absolute dependence on the Lord and should teach us that in obeying and depending on him, there is great victory, there is great reward. 153 fish.